everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti. Welcome to Yoga Land. Hi, Jason. Hello. Hi, Ginger. She Hello. really is a part of the discussion yes, today. Yes, she is. Because we thought today we would talk about the ways that our yoga and mindfulness practices over the years have helped us in relationships. And I would say that, you know, Ginger's a pretty, pretty important relationship for us. Totally. She's not, she doesn't She's the challenge one. us a whole lot. No, 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 no. She's the one that no one ever is irritated with. Yeah, it's true. Yeah? It's true. So, yeah, I should say, actually, she benefits from our hard work in relationships because yeah we're you know okay we've we're gonna humble brag about our own relationship totally and that has good a good impact on ginger yeah yeah i started thinking about this topic because we're talking about moving my mom close by and (laughs) i didn't know this is why you started to think about this topic it is why i started to think about it yeah it and you making sure that our relationship is strong enough to manage it? Oh, no, no, no. I was thinking more about my relationship with her. Oh, yeah. okay. Right. And just how... So you weren't thinking about me. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't win. Um, I'm like, no, and I was thinking about how you're a narcissist. Just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Just kidding. Um, so, yeah, no, I was thinking about how I have improved in my ability to just be in relationship with her and how hard it is. And, there, you know, you and I are... Things are, we've worked things out over the years, right? And we met as adults and we're in a pretty good phase with Sophia. So it was really being with my mom was the first time that I felt kind of challenged um, relationship wise in a while. And that is kind of why I started to think about like, how is it that I'm actually able to navigate this now? Sure. And like, what are the tools that I've learned? And it comes that I've been testing you for so many years. Yes. I've been strength training you. Yes. Tolerating me. No, I think really for me, it's that I kind of struggled internally a lot with relationships for just a really long time um, for various reasons that I just don't need to go into. Like we don't need to have a personal therapy session about me, but I did have like some challenging primary relationships growing up. And then I think I just wasn't great at um, the skills that we're going to talk about yeah. today. Fair. Yeah. So should I start then? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's your podcast. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I feel shy now. Okay. Okay, but wait. Mm-hmm. I want to know... Okay, I want to know about the skills, but I also want to know how they relate to a yoga or meditation practice, right? Uh, you mean like uh, how you how I, I've... Yeah, so, okay. So, here's kind of what I'm thinking. I will start, okay? So, kind of what I'm thinking, like, the first thing that I think helps me in my relationship uh, with you is my yoga practices helped me understand how reactionary I am. You know, like how, um, not how irritable I am, but like how, kind of how sensitive I am, how quick to react to thoughts and sensations and feelings. Um, And I remember that literally from my first experience to yoga. Like I remember how frustrated I got I remember how irritated I got. I remember that my first inclination was to externalize it and be like, well, this is stupid. This isn't for me. Instead of realizing, 
no, you're just experiencing something that's difficult and you didn't know how much you don't like that, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I think my yoga practice for so many years put me in literal physical situations where I was confused or awkward or I didn't like the, I didn't, um, I didn't feel good about myself. And I would see how my, how quickly my mind, like I said, tried to pass that buck into, oh, well, that's because of something else. Mm -hmm. That's because yoga's dumb. Mm -hmm. That's because this teacher's wrong. That's because, that's because blah, blah, blah. I'm just not good at this type of pose. That's because I my ankle hurt. I tripped the other day and I yeah. hurt my ankle. Yeah, yeah, we like we come up with a million. Different so so what it started what I started to realize over the years is like, no, you're just reactionary. You have a kind of a a sensitive and quick to react and kind of a strong to react ego, right? And I still have that, mm -hmm. right? But but so I think that like in my relationships. Um, since I started practicing, but like, especially with you, cumulative over the years, I've gotten better at if, if we have some sort of, not necessarily disagree, well, maybe disagreement, but also like um, misinterpretation, or if I get frustrated with something in the relationship, my first thing Which to do- Which rarely happens. Oh, I mean, how could let's, it? let's be real yeah, here. Yeah. Well, you've trained me to make sure I know it's my fault. You're speaking to the host of Yoga Land <laughs> yeah. podcast right now. So what I've, what I've learned is to first reflect and be like, is this actually an issue? Is, this, is, there, is there actually like a conflict here? Is there actually an issue here? Is there actually an interpersonal thing that needs to be managed? Or are you just irritable right now? Are you just tired and in a bad mood right now? Are you just not getting what you want right now? Yeah. You know, and then and then it's a little bit clearer for me. I don't know that I answer the question correctly all the time, but I think it's a little bit clearer for me to just kind of sit on it and be like, no, that's, I'm just annoyed. Yeah. I'm just irritated about this. She actually didn't do anything wrong. Blah, 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 blah. Or like you can kind of hone in on, well, this one thing she said kind of bothered me. And then you can approach right. me in like a more neutral, instead of like feeling that swept away by the emotion of it, then you can like address it. And I'm when I say you, I mean either of us. Sure. We've learned to be able to address things from just a less triggered, you know, yeah. reactionary place, yeah. which is really, really vital because life's hard. Right. So a lot of the times I realize, nah, this is just me. And then as you say, it's like, no, there, I am. We, we do need to address this, mm -hmm. but then it's it's not about you doing X, Y, or Z. It's it's usually like let's have a like let's be a little bit more objective about this miscommunication and and work through it with a a little bit less um, immediate reactivity. Mm -hmm. And and what kind of where I was saying at the beginning is. I want to know from your perspective where in the yoga practice this comes from. And all this to me comes from being in poses like down dog for longer than I wanted to be in there mm -hmm. and seeing how quickly my mind was to react and how quickly my mind was to externalize the issue. And it took me so long to realize, no, this is just you seeing yourself under stress and pressure 
And so learn to own it and learn to respond more skillfully to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're on to just like such a major, major component of what's so valuable in these practices. And so I would say I've had a similar experience with my sort of propensity to overreact to situations. I think, you know, it's pretty universal. And as usual, I think in our discussions, we... uh, tend to go this way. My learning this lesson um, has come most clearly through meditation practice. And I think really in early, early meditation practices where sitting still and being quiet, just the thought of it brought up so much anxiety for me because I knew how reactive my mind was. And I was pretty afraid of my mind. Sure. I was pretty afraid of what to do with that. And I needed a teacher outside of my mind to guide me through that and to say, you're going to have like a lot of discomfort. You might have discomfort in your body. You might have discomfort in your heart, in your stomach, in your mind, in your, um, you know, you might replay old, old stories. You might come up with new stories that are frightening or upsetting or depressing or whatever. And that's okay. And you can sit and be with this and just watch it. Right. And so that's where I've really learned this gift of instead of it's it's like we're always going to react. Sure. That's like we're human. Sure. And sure, and sure. it's not about like tamping down every human emotion and every human response. But like you said, it's about when we have the reaction and when we feel triggered, can we watch it first? Sure. Can we can we pause? And so that that's really like a skill for me that I was going to bring up is just when things are hard in a relationship, learning to pause before and and try to come up with a response instead of a reaction. Yeah. You know, there's such a difference between responding and reacting. Yeah. And so Reacting for me has just never gotten me anywhere. You know, like I told you, I had one conflict with my, with my mom when she was here where I had like the weirdest, most out of the blue reaction. I just said the stupidest thing back to her. She said something that was really triggering to me and I like snapped and that got me nowhere. No, we we had to then revisit that just reescalates. You know, we had to then just revisit the topic when we were both calm the next morning, and we'd both had time and space. Yeah, I mean, I think the beauty of of these cultivating these skills and and like knowing that they are available to us is, like you said, when you learn to slow down the reaction and you you know pause, you either figure out within the space of either a few minutes or a few hours or a few days that what you are reacting to either is like non-existent. Yeah. Right. How often do we see our daughter react to things when really she's just hungry? Um, um, daily. <laughs> and, and then, you know, kids are like a little, they're like a little representation, right? Cause they're still developing. So we either get the, the, the opportunity to be like, Oh God, I don't even care about that. Now what I, what was actually happening was X or we can just kind of reflect and gather our wits about us and come back to the person knowing what to either ask or, you know, what we need. Like, you know, there might, I can't think of a specific example with us, but I'm sure there have been times when I've come back to you and said, 
you know, it really bothered me when you said this because I just felt like it meant X. It meant you didn't respect what I was saying or it meant you didn't like me or it meant you didn't, you know, and then you can just like approach the person from a much more honest, um, and I hate to say this word because I feel like this is like a buzzword. You can say authentic. Vulnerable. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it's true. Like, like you said, a lot of times reacting comes from a place of ego. Sure. And so we have to look at like... And fear. Yeah. And so we have to look at like, well, what what was feeling so um, destabilized in that moment? And can I actually just ask for what I need instead of exploding? So I have something that is... I feel like so many things we're going to say is, are related. But one of these things that's related uh, to both of what we've shared for me is I think with my yoga practice and just generally, I think all these things is also just like the wisdom and the maturation of life, right? Uh, but specifically tying it to a yoga practice is the capacity to move on, right? It, and so kind of what I think about is this, like tracing it even further back um, as an athlete, you spend a lot of time losing games and you have to move on. They say it all the time, like the best athletes have the shortest memories because if you hold on to a loss and virtually everyone is going to lose, that's going to unsettle you for the future. And I, I think about this in Shavasana all the time and I say things along the lines, right? And this is, you know, this is traceable directly to Bhagavad Gita and other teachings, but the things that went really well for you in practice today, let them go. You're not still doing them. They're over. Let them go. Similarly, the things that frustrated you or that were challenging or difficult for you, they're not still happening. Let them go, right? And so to be a little bit more to allow for when a conflict or a frustration or whatever it is to when it's over and discussed, it's over. Now it's your job to move on. Yeah. And I think that I think a younger form of myself would not have wanted to move on until I convinced the other person I was right. Oh, yeah. Right? Me too. Me too. Right? For sure. And a lot of times, there's no, like, both sides are right. Most, in so many situations, there's just a genuine miscommunication, right? It's yeah. just really difficult. It's really difficult to be clear with yourself, let alone clear with a spouse or a partner 100% of the time. And so you make up your own conclusions and sometimes you just are you just are inaccurate in your assessment of something. So once you've worked through a conflict or once you've like talked about it, you might still have an echo of feeling there, right? You might have that emotional hangover. But it's time to move on. So how, if you learn that first from like games and sports, like how did yoga help? Because it's just given me more practice. Because okay. moving on is not easy. Yeah. So there's all sorts of things you can conceptually understand. That doesn't mean that you can execute them well. Mm-hmm. So over time, just kind of realizing like, oh, okay, I, I still feel this way. I, you know, we, we I think we're clear. Um and I still have a little bit of the uh, the emotional disturbance or whatever it is, but we don't need to talk this out more. I don't need to prove to you that I'm act- oh, actually I'm actually right. Yeah, I know we agreed we're done with that yeah. conversation. But listen, I actually I was right, <laughs> right? And even if you kind of feel that way, 
it at that at that point it's like it's time to it's time to move on yeah and like the transience of all things the transience of that thing is over now mm-hmm. might it come back things have a way of reappearing in our lives mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know what i mean we yeah. have these very cyclical uh internal and external lives but just kind of having a sense of okay we've i think we've worked through this as best as we can in the short term like it's time to move on yeah i think what you're bringing up is kind of a macro the macro view of what all of these attributes and and um skills fall under which is that for me anyway and it seems like for you too um these practices have led to a more stable sense of self yeah so which is really interesting right because it's it's led to both a more stable sense of of the small self right a more stable sense of like i'm okay as i am you're okay as you are therefore neither one of us has to win this fight neither one of us has to prove like but i was right you know the way we might have if we dated when we were like 20 but it's also given us the sense of like the metaphysical sense of the larger self which kind of can allow you to let things go more because you only see my prusha exactly (laughs) it's so handsome (laughs) No, it's not. It's uh, it's uh, it's ghostly. It's indiscreet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's even it's even paler than my prakriti. I don't know. I might have gotten in over my head in trying to describe this, but um, it's just an interesting thing that I think all of these things uh, are reinforced by these practices that allow us to like both witness, uh, like you're saying, both witness our um, small self habitual, like the running narrative, the the inner criticism, the outer the criticism of the teacher as we're doing something. And then also, like, we touch into, at least for moments, feelings of complete connection and, like, bliss, I would say, you know, for, that, that connects us more to the metaphysical sense of self. Okay. Um, yeah. For me, yeah. anyway. Yeah. I buy that. <laughs> All right. But I'm going to get back to one that's just more earthly and easier to kind of describe. Um, and I think this is one that I feel I have valued kind of since day one with our our daughter. Um, I thought this was about us. It's about all of our relationships. Oh, man. But I, oh, well, I'm just going to talk about my, feel- my ginger Your feelings with ginger? Yeah. Um, but I think also I see you practicing it a lot more. And that is this idea. So... One of the meditation techniques that I teach in your 200-hour training is concentration meditation. It's like very, you know... A, a straightforward. Straightforward. It's in all of the different meditation traditions. There's a form of concentration meditation. Um, in the Theravadan tradition, um, it's referred to as shamatha. And shamatha means calm abiding. And so it's really de- developing concentration so that you can calmly abide with whatever arises. And what that evokes in me is like learning to calmly abide with whatever emotions come up for me during meditation, whatever thoughts, whatever problems, all of these things. And being able to do that with myself has made it much 
um, easier for me to do that with others. And I think having that ability to do that with other people is like the key to a true relationship, right? And, and when I think about our kid, and I think about all kids, you know, parenting trends, I hope, have are, are kind of moving from this uh, more authoritative, authoritarian, punishing approach to the idea that, like, when kids are struggling with emotions, they really need what's called co-regulation. They really need someone else to be there with them, like holding the space for them. They need someone to calmly abide. So you have to have the capacity to self-regulate in order to Mm co-regulate. And that's so hard to do. Like that takes so much training and so much discipline, especially as a parent, because as a parent, you're tired. Mm-hmm. And doing anything well when you're tired is just exponentially more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like the way you're describing, I think, about feeling what you feel, but with a greater cushion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it, like almost a more um, softer, absorbent quality. So it's you're not failing to be open to your feelings and honest with your feelings, but you're cultivating that ability to be um, less immediately reactionary and a little bit, yeah, like a little bit um, softer and more absorbent with the feeling. And also, I think I think there's a real tendency for when you see anyone you love struggling with a difficult feeling, um, you know, especially your child, like the immediate reaction is like, oh, it's okay. You don't really feel that way. Oh, I know it's so hard that she didn't invite you to the party, but like, who cares? It's fine. You're going to, don't worry about, I mean, like, and no one likes to have their feelings invalidated. So this, this kind of, this is another thing that I, that specifically comes up for me in the space of being a teacher, much more so than in the space of being a practitioner. Okay. Um, Which is, acknowledgement, right? It's just kind of witnessing and acknowledgement, mm-hmm. right? And I think that this is a huge component in all relationships because I think we all know that it can be, like if you're in a decent mood and your partner or your kid or whatever is like in a like really not good mood, like that can be irritating, right? You know what yeah. I mean? You're like, oh man, mm-hmm. right? It can be super irritating. Mm-hmm. Um I would say that's one of our l- kind of larger challenges from time to time is kind of the difficulty of just l- letting each other have our own feeling without either wanting to correct it, change it, or be irritated by it, mm-hmm. right? But so this comes up for me a lot of being a yoga teacher is just acknowledging people's narrative and not immediately trying to fix it or trying to diminish it. And an an example comes up all the time with yoga students and their, I don't mean this negatively, but the excuses that they make to you before class about why they might not be able to do something, right? So this is gonna happen all the time as yoga teachers. Like, hey, just so you know, I'm just coming back. It's been like 48 years since I practiced yoga and I had 17 (laughs) kids. And also there's this one day I was like, I don't know, I was like four or five years old and I was on my tricycle and I got stung on the elbow with a bee and my elbow's kind of feeling a little bit weird right now. So I might have to modify, right? 
it's like a student often comes in with a narrative just to tell you they might have to modify. And what are they doing in that situation is essentially they're asking for your permission and your acknowledgments so that you are telling them that it is okay for them to do whatever, right? Like you as the yoga teacher support and accept. They need, they need a witness that, is what you're saying. Yeah, they need a witness. Yeah. And they also, they like, they don't, like, you know, once in a while, I will say to you, hey, sorry if I'm being grumpy. I'm just like in a really bad mood today. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just in a really bad mood. So ignore me. There's nothing wrong. It's not about me, Right. That I think is good communication, but it's also me asking for you to give me my space so I can have my feelings. Yeah. Right? So as a teacher, I think a lot of times the student isn't necessarily asking you to fix their, you know, the fact that then when they're three years old, their elbow got stung. They're wanting you to not judge them Mm -hmm. or try to change them or harass them for the reality that... They might not do chaturanga today. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I think it's it's just kind of seeing that of like being able to just bear witness to someone and just to acknowledge them and let them have their own space. Mm-hmm. And I won't say like I it's not like it should be some great mystery, but I think you and I were on the same page at a certain phase as a, as students of yoga where there were certain styles of classes or certain styles of yoga and certain teachers, like we didn't want to go to because those teachers were too much on a mission to like make sure everything was perfect and we felt amazing, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes like you actually don't, like the student doesn't want that from the teacher. Mm -hmm. They want a... They just want, that's again so another cliche, to... they want more of a safe space. Yeah. They want the valid, they want the witnessing of the teacher and the space of the teacher and the permission of the teacher to be, to feel the way they feel and to be acknowledged, but not changed or fixed. Yeah. I So I would add, like, you've been using the word acknowledged a lot. And so I would add, like, acknowledgement and then allowing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So and it's the same thing, like, I would say with Sophia, it's like, or with each other. It's like, the one person is asking for the acknowledgement. I'm feeling this feeling. I'm feeling this feeling. And, you know, so it's not just being their witness to their feeling, but like allowing them to have the feelings. Yes. Yeah. Allowing them to have the feelings. It is such, um, it's really like once the light bulb goes off for you that this is what people need. It's such an easy thing to offer them, and it yeah, you don't literally don't have to so do anything helpful. other than care. It's so helpful, yeah. you know. I, I'm thinking about like when um, there's two examples I want to bring up of this from my own life, and one is when someone very close to me was going through a divorce, and I was fairly, I was like a young adult, and I didn't know. I was so scared to talk to the person because I didn't know how to fix it for them. I didn't know how to help them. And I remember I was talking to another family member and I said, I don't know what to do for her. I don't know how to help her. And he said, you don't have to help her. You just have to be with her. Yeah. And it was like, oh, really? Totally. (laughs) It's so funny that I just, and it was like that from then on, I could just 
help her because I could just be with her. Yeah. And the other example is, you know, when you, when you have a kid and they start to get to the tantruming phase, there's a lot of pressure put on parents to, quote unquote, handle the tantrums correctly. There's like all right, of it. There's right, right, so right, many right. schools of thought and there's so right. much advice and there are still so many people out there that feel that if a child has a tantrum in public, it's the parent's fault and they're like staring at you, watching your every move and are you treating it, you know, doing the correct thing and like... Pause. All of the listeners that don't have kids are like, yeah, totally. All the listeners <laughs> that have kids are like, nope, it's not the parent's fault. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. So often parents are taught one technique. When a child tantrums, you ignore it. Because if you give the child your attention, you're reinforcing the quote unquote bad behavior and they're going to do it again. They're manipulating you. I happen to not believe this school of thought. I mean, I think very rarely are children like developed enough to manipulate people. And when they're really upset, they don't want to actually be upset. I mean, I think that's like the missing piece that people are missing. Um, but what what I finally learned after trying that technique for years and it <laughs> going horribly and feeling like a horrible parent um, because for our child, it escalated things. What I learned um, was to uh, not react to the child, but to stay proximate. Mm. Okay. So to stay there, which is the same as calmly abiding. Mm -hmm. You just, you stay there with them so that they know that you're there, you are witnessing their feelings, you're allowing their feelings as far as they can stay safe until the feelings pass. And they might even actually, because they're young and developing, they might need you to co-regulate their feelings. They might need you to say like, I know this is really hard, right? So you're reflecting back to them. I know this is really hard for you. I know this is really hard. And you're reflecting back to them through your tone, through your body language, through your proximity to them, that they're safe and it's okay. It's reminding me um, along these lines about how quickly children get over the tantrum after the tantrum. It's like it never happened, or at least with ours, right? So Sophia, when she would have a tantrum, I mean, that could last a very long time. But when it was over, it was over, right? I don't think that she was like in the narrative aftermath, right? It was the pure feeling, and then that pure feeling r ran its course, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I really only have one more thing that that comes to mind on on this topic, um, which is I think in so many ways at its core, yoga has been a way for me to take care of myself and to continue to try to learn and grow. And I don't see myself, I don't know how listeners will take this. I don't actually see myself as completely independent of you. Like I, I don't, I don't know how someone can, I don't know how in a relationship, like, yes, you have, you have a certain amount of independence. You have a certain amount of autonomy, but what I do with my life has a direct immediate impact continuously on you and Sophia. So I might be independent. I might be independent of you all, but my choices, 
and who I am and how I take care of myself or fail to take care of myself are in fact going to have an immediate impact on you. Mm-hmm. And so just to be quite honest, like I, I'm, I am drawn to people who are still learning, who are still growing, who have interests, mm-hmm. right? And there's a lot of things as a person I'm, I don't do. Like there, there are many ways in which socially for, as a partner, I'm not that exciting, but at very least, like I still learn about subjects I still care about. I still read. I still look to like be able to understand and engage with the world. I know that, you know, uh, death and disease will come when it comes, but there are probably some things I can do to keep it at bay. So the choices that I make with my body in terms of like working hard to take care of it, the choices that I make uh, in order to work hard to stay a semi-interesting self, like evolving person, I think makes me number one, more likely to last longer in relationship and two, a little bit more tolerable and interesting to be with. You know what I mean? Like I see those, I see those, I see these practices that I do because our existences are so deeply intertwined, the ways in which I take care of myself are not just for myself. Yeah. They're so that I can be a little bit like better in relationship too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a little bit separate from what you're saying, but what you said just reminded me of something which is a quality that both of us have worked on. And I think in terms of the way that I feel like in terms of your relationship with Sophia, you've worked on a lot, which is flexibility, like mental flexibility. It's a huge quality like that is underrated in our culture. Yeah, (laughs) Um, It takes a lot of mental flexibility to be in a long-term relationship with another person and to be a family unit where you have multiple competing interests, desires, and personalities. It's, it's sort of everything for staying for everyone, just staying happy and, and being content and, and not, you know, seizing up, becoming rigid and like blaming another person for not behaving in the way that you want them to behave. You have to be flexible around, you know, your ability to um, just accept the way that other people are. Yeah. And, you know, that one of the ones, the first quality that I wrote down that you and I were going over before we we started that I I'm I feel like I'm struggling to really justify it as a as a an important quality, but I would say that the quality is like I've learned to go easier on myself, and not in physical practice, but in my mental meditation mindfulness practice. A lot of what it has given me is um, just this realization of how hard I can be on myself, how hard the inner narrator narrator has been, how driving it has been. 
And also I've seen it in other people when I used to teach. Like I would kind of walk around the room marveling at the fact that people were in a yoga class after work on like the 13th floor of the Bank of America building and feeling bad about themselves because they fell out of tree pose. Like it just seeing other people work so hard kind of brought into stark relief this like, oh my gosh, we make things so hard on ourselves. And therefore we are so hard on other people. And there's just you know, you could choose to be that way, but you can also choose to just be happier by being a little easier about certain things. There is enough stuff in life that's going to come up that's really freaking hard that like just learning to see, like to see your internal landscape and just to see like the stuck spots where you're really hard on yourself and like ease up a little bit for me has been very beneficial. I think if you don't if you don't know how to have a light touch with yourself, it's not likely you're going to have that light touch with someone else and it's also not likely that you're going to be that available, right? If you if you are if one is so self-involved that in their own pursuit of perfection that that person probably they're not going to like we only our gas tank is only so big and so if i exhaust myself by never being enough then i'm i'm not going to really have much remainder for that someone else that is a else, really good point right that is a really good point and i i think about this m- most frequently specifically for you of when i think you should go easier on yourself um, let me just give you some advice right now. Um, no, it's more when I would travel a lot. It's like just the the reality that like when 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 I'm gone, you can't you because we are co-parents. When I'm gone, you are going to be taking a bigger load of that. Therefore, you're not going to be able to take as big a load of the marketing or whatever it is. Like mm. you know, something something has to give. I think the final thing about this is like, no one really wants a miserable partner, Mm-mm. you know? And so there's, there's a threshold because I think, I think in a lot of relationships, there's like, um, you know, we all by nature, we kind of come, we, we can be a little comparative, but I think in the bottom, like in the end, we, we kind of want, even if our own selfish reasons we want our partner to be happy hopefully because we love them but also because we ultimately want them to also be available for our connections tone of your household and your life and your time together you know yeah i mean um yeah absolutely when we're when we're stuck in um trying to get i I, you know it's almost the holidays and so it's the perfect example is thinking about the holidays and when we can get so wrapped up in like, is this like this? And did I have that? And do I have that? And it's fine. Like checking things off your to-do list, setting the perfect table or getting the perfect gift for someone. Those things are all really, really fun. Not for me. (laughs) (laughs) I I understand. Good thing it's fun for me. Totally. Um, But like you said, if you're, 
if you're like, there's this guy on um, Instagram, Simon Holland. He he posts just funny like dadism things. And right before Thanksgiving, he said, "I hope I hope all of you who are going to a friend's house tomorrow are complimenting them on their their clean baseboards because that's what we're there working on today." That's actually true. You know, it's like no, we we just you know if we're if we're missing the forest for the trees and we're just um, so wrapped up in and I am just like absolutely guilty of this. That's why I'm bringing it up. If we just get so locked into all of the things we need to accomplish and all the things we're trying to get done and making it perfect for everyone else, like, yeah, we can make ourselves miserable. So that's another reason why having an actual yoga and or mindfulness meditation practice is so important because it's it's the time where someone reminds you, leave your stuff at the door, like just be present right now, just turn inward, just get quiet, just be with yourself and know that what you're doing right now is really great. It's just as it is. I think on those wise words, I should go make sure the dishes are done. Okay. (laughs) You're not even kidding, are you? No. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for being here, Jason. Um, Thanks for having me. Thanks for being uh, the world's greatest um, podcast host. <laughs> and that mom, is not what I thought. I you were know, say. I know, but you know who you married. Oh my god! And dog mom, and mom mom, and wife. Do you know that in some circles, mom mom means grandma? <laughs> Does it really? Yes. <laughs> You're totally not a grandma. (laughs) All right, guys. Uh, I don't have anything else to say. I hope this was helpful to you. And until next week, enjoy your practice.